Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There was two sets taken from him and he was able to match up the second set of fingerprints with the print that was found underneath the saddle and it was very much so consistent he said with the saddle being lifted up in the air and he explained to the jury as well in detail how you would go about matching fingerprints you know they're all unique to each individual person there's all these different ridges and lines and he explained to the jury how that would work and how he was able to match that fingerprint on the saddle to Joseph Puska. I'm Nicola Talent and you're listening to Crime World a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The prosecution case against Joseph Puska, accused of murdering Ashley Murphy in January 2022, is set to end this week. In court today, Professor Michael Ryan said that there was no evidence to support the suggestion that an admission given to Gardaí by Joseph Puska was related to the effects of an opioid painkiller. Today, I'm talking to Crime World's Claude Amini as the prosecution's case nears its close. I'm Niall Donald, and this is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So, Claude, we haven't uh, done an update in three days but uh, on, on the Ashley Murphy trial, but I think we'll start with what we heard today, um, which focused again, the last three days really, a lot of it has focused on uh, what the prosecution says are the admissions that Joseph Puska made while he was in hospital being treated for injuries. And today we heard from um, Professor Michael Ryan, um, a good bit of it was about um, the the medication and the drugs he had received while while being treated for stomach uh, injuries. Um, he described him uh, being treated with oxycodone, I think it was, um, which is, did he describe what that drug was? Yeah, so... Professor Michael Ryan um, was the expert witness that was brought in today to give his opinion on whether or not he thought that there could have been any substances in Joseph Puska's system that could have had any kind of bearing on the admissions that he made to Gardaí. Now, he explained that oxycodone was a painkiller. It's an opioid. Um, he said that in his expert opinion, he did conclude in the end that there was there was, there was was no evidence to support this, that suggestion. Um, he said that any drugs 
including anesthetic, which was also given to Mr. Kapuska during surgery, would have been out of his system at that point. Um, it is a painkiller. Um, the kind of you can take up to four hundred milligrams per day, or can be administered um, after surgery. However, Joseph Puska, I think, was only administered. 10 milligrams. And by the time he committed surgery, there would have been only a, a max dose of about 8.25 milligrams of the painkiller in his system. So in his, in, in Professor Michael Ryan's opinion, um, this isn't going to uh, basically lead him to be intoxicated from, from, from the drugs in his system. So was he cross-examined about that, that medical opinion? That he-, he was, yes. So the defence did give him um, a bit of a cross-examination. And he said that he wasn't a clinical doctor. He accepted rather the suggestion that he wasn't a clinical doctor, nor was he a consultant in emergency medicine. Yeah, so he obviously... Um, he did he describe how he he came to his conclusions is obviously going through files that he was presented more than obviously a, a, a direct examination of the patient. yeah so he went through he was given extensive medical records um fr- from St James Hospital where he had the surgery after his stomach wounds um and it's through those through you know combing through those extensively he came to the conclusions that the painkillers or any other drugs that were administered to Joseph Puska wouldn't have had any, any bearing on the, the admissions that he gave to Gardy on the 14th of January. Yeah, so because obviously over the, the Thursday and Friday, um, although there was a various things uh, brought into the court, but a lot of it was discussing um, what Joseph Puska is is said to Gardy at the time. So just to, to recap on it, um, Joseph Puska has obviously pled not guilty to murder, uh, to the murder of Ashling Murphy. Um, he was admitted to hospital, um, was it on the, the 13th of? 13th of January, 2022, of January, yes. 20, 22. And at that point, we've heard before that he'd had a number of stomach uh, injuries and that um, Gardy had come to, to speak to him in the hospital, hadn't been able to initially, and then had come back at a certain point when he'd come out of surgery. Now, on Thursday, they brought in uh, Joseph Puska, obviously, uh, needed a translator. So we heard from the man who translated him. Now, obviously, we've already heard um, through the Gardaí, they've already given evidence about what they say just Joseph Puska told them. This is obviously sort of um, to, to fill out the picture. Um, so his name was uh, Miroslav Sedelec, was it? Is yeah, Miroslav Sedelec. Um, he was the translator who spoke to Gardi um, two times on the 13th of January. So we heard that there was a phone call at about 12pm and there was a second phone call at about 6pm. Um, he described to Gardi that Mr. Puska was speaking very freely um, and quite quickly at the time. He said he had to stop him and to you know, slow him down so he could translate to Gardi. Um, he described Joseph Puska as being in very low spirits and even said that he was feeling or he said he sounded um desperate uh following the confession. Um later that evening um he had another conversation with Gardy where he was asked to explain to Joseph Puska why Gardy were seizing some of his some of his yes. items through a search warrant. So the first item the first interview that he that he translated was kind of to do with these wounds that he suffered and there wasn't any mention of the Ashling Murphy murder, I think, at that point. No, no. Then he came back at at six o'clock. Obviously, then there'd been developments. And at that point, um, the translator, Mr. Sedacek, said he was asked by uh, Joseph Puska, was he a suspect? Yeah, so um, he asked, Joseph Puska asked him, you know, am I a suspect in in this murder? Um, And... 
Gardy explained to Miroslav that he wasn't a suspect, but he was a person of interest. Um, he was asked again if he had any information about what had happened in Tullamore um, and asked, of course, did he know about what happened in Tullamore, to which he said that no, he'd, he'd only knew something about it from the internet. Um, he also said that, the, the translator said that when um, Joseph Puska decided to give this so-called confession or make this admission that he, it was quite spontaneous. Um, and he said that he was asked, it kind of came out very quickly. It was kind of rushed, but he said that his confession was, he Joseph Puska wanted him to translate it accurately. Um, to which he said, I did it, I kill her. Um, and he said that he didn't do it intentionally and apologized for what had happened. And it was at this point as well, uh, Miroslav suggested that, um, or said that he thought Joseph Puska's voice was trembling um, and his sentences were quite disjointed, which is um, kind of the perspective he was able to give as the Slovakian interpreter that the Guardian may not have been able to pick on, pick up on themselves. Um, and then during cross-examination, he was asked if he had followed um, the case in the news. He had been asked if he was listening to another podcast on the case, um, to which he said no. And the reason that they brought this up is because um, Miroslav had said that um, there was a significant pause before Joseph Puska had made the confession. And this was something that wasn't in as an original statement. However, this is something that other people had said about um, the confession. Yeah, presumably the guards who were, who were there also. So then on, on Friday, there was extensive, I suppose, DNA and fingerprint evidence really um, taken from from uh both from Mr. Puska and from the bike and other items found at the scene of where Ashling Murphy was killed. Um, so that was probably quite technical evidence uh, as these things tend to be. But they spoke obviously about um, DNA was taken from Joseph Puska in, in the hospital. And this was compared to a number of items at the scene. I think there was three items uh, brought up. Yeah, so there was Dr. Kim Connock, who is from the Forensic Science Ireland fingerprint section. There was three items, uh, a Navy fleece, an adult's mountain bike, and a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses with gold frames. Um, the raincoat, she said, was fleeced, fleece-lined and rubberized. She said it was a very good quality. There was a heavy stain of blood, looked like a blood-like substance on the outside. She took photographs of this. She visually looked at it for fingerprints and then she chemically treated it. Um, she said that there was nothing found on this coat. She then took the sunglasses. There was a small amount of blood, uh, sorry, a small amount of mud on the front lens. She took photos and again, chemically treated it. Um, she found an area when she kind of visibly looked at it that of possible touch um, evidence. Um, she then was able to look for fingerprints through that, um, basically dusting it down as you often see on television. Um, she dusted it down um, and that was kind of her way of chemically treating it. Um, she took this sample from the glasses and sent it to the DNA section, hoping to get a hit from that. Um, she didn't know whether or not they would. Um, there was also the bike that we've seen throughout this case, the, the green handlebars and the grey body. Um, she took some photographs of this. Um, the, she said the grips of the handlebars were missing, but she took photographs of the rest of the bike and she treated it chemically again with the fingerprint dust and she found one mark and this was on the underside of the saddle. So to get in at it better, she was able to remove the saddle um, and she did say it wasn't unusual that the fingerprint was found there. Then we heard from Detective Sergeant Damien Carroll, who is a fingerprint expert in um, Garda Siakana. Um, and he said that he was, the, he was the expert that took the fingerprints and palm prints from Joseph Puska. 
there was also, there was two sets taken from him and he was able to match up the second set of fingerprints with the print that was found underneath the saddle. Um, And it was very much so consistent, he said, with the saddle being lifted up in the air. Um, And he explained to the jury as well in detail how you would go about matching fingerprints. You know, they're all unique to each individual person. Um, There's all these different ridges and lines. And he explained to the jury how that would work and how he was able to match that fingerprint on the saddle to Joseph Puskin. Yeah, because obviously the fingerprint evidence now is a couple of hundred years old and it's, you know, it's probably the precursor to the DNA in that it is a unique thing. And, you know, it's been it's been used extensively. We're all used to it from TV. Now, obviously, DNA has become something that's, that's even more prominent in recent years. I've heard from Dr. Lorna Flanagan as well. Um, from also from Forensic Art, uh, Science Ireland about the DNA sample that was taken from from uh, from the items at the scene. Now, she gave very detailed evidence, as as is always the case with 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 uh, DNA. But she she sort of gave those ratios that we that 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 always, I suppose, make the the headlines for people that that don't yeah. understand some of the technical evidence. And she came back with a, a kind of a figure, I think. You know, and also a couple of ways in which it's it's reached. Yeah. So she basically what she did was she was able to she worked mainly with the with the DNA that was underneath Ashton Murphy's finger fingernails. So she basically what she did was she separated the DNA. So she was able to pull male DNA from the female DNA. Obviously, that female DNA belonging to Ashing Murphy. And then there was the male sample. Um, and she was able to match that again to Joseph Puska. Now she said that the chances of finding this male profile. Um, in anyone other than a relative of his was one in 14,000. Um, she did explain as well, like the those kind of figures of the scale. So one in 14,000, I think it goes up to like one in 1,000 million, yeah. um, which is a billion. That's kind of the length of the scale. And she said that, you know, to get those kind of specific figures, they would use Ireland's DNA database, but she also had access to a DNA database that would have had information about... Um, you know, Slovaks and uh, Roma Slovaks in particular, which is uh, Joseph Puska's ethnicity. And and with that, she was able to kind of narrow it down and say that it was uh, one one in 14,000 chances of belonging to anyone else other than um, Joseph Puska or a relative. We also heard uh, evidence from a detective, Sergeant David Scahill, who said that he kind of did some CCTV, he looked at some of the CCTV and was able to pinpoint that two of the two of Joseph Puska's brothers who live here in Ireland, they were nowhere near the scene of the crime. Um, and they, Lubomir and Marek, their names, um, and they were kind of seen in and around Tullamore town between um, three o'clock and like 10 to four. So they were they were seen in Tullamore town and not near the scene. So that was kind of more evidence given to the jury. Yeah, so the prosecution is basically saying that that those people can be ruled out and therefore you're looking, this, this really narrowing the, the, the probabilities um, mm-hmm. That it could be somebody else. Um, the the and they also specifically said there's no suggestion any other male relative of of Mr. Puska could be uh, a suspect in their opinion. Exactly. So then we also heard from uh, DNA expert John Hoard. Um, uh, what was his 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 role and what was he sort of saying? Yeah. So he works in the forensic science laboratory um, in DNA analysis, and he again, was able to look at the swabs taken from underneath the uh, Ashing Murphy's fingerprint. So the the information that Dr. Lorna Flanagan had gotten, he then analysed that. She said that the samples of DNA taken from Joseph Puska at St. James's Hospital matched, again, 
DNA that was taken from the handlebars of the bike. And with this, we did see that it was 100 million, or sorry, 1,000 million times likely to be from Joseph Puska um, than anyone else. So the chances basically of this DNA belong to somebody else is one in a billion. Yeah. So there was other Garda witnesses as well brought in, was there, um, who, who discussed about, about um, a, a, a previous suspect that that had come that was initially arrested by Gardaí but ultimately ruled out after a period of time. Did they give extensive details of that? Yeah, so Detective Superintendent Patrick O'Callaghan um, gave evidence regarding the other suspect who was arrested and released. Um, we'll just call him a Romanian male. Yeah. Um, he basically explained that there was 720 lines of inquiry in this case. And he explained to the jury that a line of inquiry is kind of when there is something that needs to be done. So whether it's making a statement, analyzing a piece of DNA, um, identifying the bicycle, taking photographs, all those kind of different things, each of those is a line of inquiry. And one of those was this Romanian male. Um, he was arrested um, and then released the following day. So he was arrested on the evening of the 12th of January uh, and he was released about half 10 um, the following day. So he was interviewed over about 11 hours. Um, Detective Superintendent Patrick O'Callaghan said that during this, his time in custody, he gave kind of consistent accounts of where he was. Um, his alibi was corroborated by his mother and his grandmother. And it soon became apparent that he wasn't actually involved in the case. His DNA and his handprints were also taken, his hand and fingerprints were also taken. Um, and it returned later that evening on the 13th um, to say that neither the prints or the DNA matched from the bike matched him or anything on the crime scene. Um, so at this point then, obviously Joseph Puska became the focus of the investigation. Um, so the evidence was concluded today. They're not starting again till noon tomorrow. The case begins. Correct. We were heading into maybe the final few days of the prosecution's case. Would that be fair to say? Do we know who's coming next? Yeah, we know there's two more witnesses. Um, I'm not exactly sure who those witnesses are. It because the final bit of evidence today was that kind of medical evidence, I'm sure it's only kind of routine um, evidence that we're going to hear from the final two witnesses. I don't think it's going to be anything more significant because it is believed that the um, prosecution are going to rest their case tomorrow. Um, and then from Thursday, it'll be down to the defence to begin their defence in the case. Yeah, so I mean, the, 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 the defence will begin. We don't know the exact, what they, you know, what they'll present or what they won't present. So we're probably, um, we'd certainly... By the end of this week, we'll have a clear picture of, of how long the case is going to go in. Once the defence rests, then you will get a judge summing up. Could be a half a day, something typically like that. And at that point, um, you know, standard practice then would be the jury going out. So there's there's still a, a while to go in this case anyway, and it's not always clear how long these things go or not. Have there been large crowds still? And Yes, yeah, still large crowds. I think the, the the case is going pretty well in terms of there hasn't been many stop, start, stop, start. Um, you know, you can see in other trials sometimes, you know, there's juries that members are ill or one has to leave the, the trial for whatever reason. But, they, you know, it's been pretty steady and, and solid. Um, it looks like, yeah, there is still a lot of people coming into court. There's still an overflow court in place um, where even some media still have to sit. Um, and there's a lot of people still in there and in the main court as well, um, observing. And, you know, you see the same faces come back daily to keep to keep up with what's going on. You do, and you have to feel, of course, for the family going in and out every day. Absolutely. What, what can seem like a, a you know, a, 
a circus, I suppose. But, you know, it, it is an open justice system, as we spoke about before. Absolutely. That's an essential part of it. Okay, Claudia, well, we'll definitely come back to it at the end at the end of the week. Presumably, we'll we'll have another pod after maybe the, the, the prosecution uh, come, come to an end. Absolutely. Okay, thanks, Claudia. Thank you very much, now. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary.